is the biggest need for humanity. If the biggest problem is we are alienated from God, then what is the biggest need for humanity? Well, isn't it to be reconciled to God? Um, to no longer be enmity with Him, hostile towards Him, or Him being hostile towards us, but for us to be reconciled to God. To be reconciled to God, that is our biggest need. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11, all the way to chapter 6, verse 2, we see Paul offers one of the most extensive descriptions of this need. And he provides the remedy to humanity's problem. To your problem, to my problem, and to those all throughout this world. He provides the need for reconciliation, and he provides the remedy to this problem of being at enmity with God. So I want to read the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, all the way to chapter 6, verse 2. And this is the inspired and parent word of God. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, all right, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he said, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So just to set the stage and the context uh, for 2 Corinthians, Paul founded the church of Corinth, and, and you can read about this, in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. And we see here that Paul was occupied with the word, preaching the word, testifying that the Christ was Jesus. And many believed. And he stayed there in Corinth for approximately 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. And then, just a little bit more about 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter 
that Paul wrote to the church together with the house churches in the whole province of Achaia. You can see that in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, of which Corinth, or Corinth was the capital. And then Paul wrote 2 Corinthians for Macedonia around AD 55-56, a year or so after he wrote 1 Corinthians. And I said four letters. We don't have the, the letter before 1 Corinthians, and, and we don't have the letter that Paul wrote, the painful letter that he wrote in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. And when I say four letters, there's one that came before 1 Corinthians, there's 1 Corinthians, then there's the painful letter that he wrote, and then 2 Corinthians. And Paul's relationship with the, the Corinthian church was a complicated one. Uh, some of this complication arose from some of Paul's opponents who were questioning his apostleship because Paul suffered too much to be a spirit-filled apostle of the risen Christ. And Paul therefore sees a close relationship between the Corinthians' acceptance of his apostleship and the genuineness of their faith. So to reject Paul and his proclamation is to reject Christ himself. Since Paul was an apostle of Christ, he was sent by Christ, commissioned by Christ himself. And since Paul's message and ministry and inner life are one, for them to reject Paul was to reject Christ himself. And this explains why 2 Corinthians is one of the most personal of all of Paul's letters. It's filled with deep emotion. And the, the central theme of 2 Corinthians is the relationship between suffering and the power of the Spirit in Paul's apostolic life, ministry, and message. So as we look to our, message, our passage tonight in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 6, 2, we will look more specifically at Paul's description of this life, ministry, and message. And, and as you can see, hopefully on the screen behind me, uh, the title for tonight's message is Call to the Ministry of Reconciliation. Beloved, you and I, if you're in Christ tonight, you and I are called to the ministry of of reconciliation. And the basic outline for tonight's message will be as follows. We're going to look at the motivation of this new covenant ministry of reconciliation. We're going to look at the means. And then we're going to look at the ministry and the message. So the motivation, means, ministry, and message. I'm a typical Baptist preacher. Okay? So, and then the main point, the main point of this passage is this. This is the take home. Anything else? You don't get anything else tonight. This is the main idea, the main point. And here it is. Because God is a reconciling God, those that are in Christ are called to the ministry and message of reconciliation. Because God is a reconciling God, those that are in Christ are called to the ministry and message of reconciliation. So again, if you're in Christ tonight, you're called to this ministry and this message. It's not just for that's for every single one of us in this room tonight, if you're a Christ follower. So let's look first at this motivation. If you look with me again in verses 11 and 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Notice, notice the word, therefore. Anytime you see the word, therefore, you need to ask, what is it there for? And you need to go back to the previous verses to see what Paul was talking about previous to what he's now writing. And in verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
and Paul is referring to his relationship with the church concerning these false teachers who are accusing him of being a false apostle. And in here in verse 10, Paul reminds the readers that Christ judges believers. He judges believers. Now, he doesn't judge them for condemnation. That's what Christ has saved us from. Christ took on our punishment so that if you're in Christ, you no longer are condemned. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So this judgment is one of condemnation. But there will be a judgment for us as believers when it comes to our motivation, and when it comes to our thoughts and words and actions, when it comes to whether or not we are faithful stewards to the ministry and message that God has given to us. We will be held accountable for that on the day of judgment. What did we do with that? Were we faithful stewards to the ministry and the message of reconciliation? And what's Paul going to say? He says to the church of Corinth, he says, God knows my motivation is to fear the Lord. That's what he says there in verse 10. And he says, I hope it is also known to your conscience. And this fear of the Lord, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What is Paul talking about when he's talking about the fear of the Lord? Well, he's talking about reverence and awe and respect for God, a devotion to God, submitting to God's will and his ways and his word. Paul has been captivated by Christ. His life has been transformed by Christ. So that's why Paul can say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I no longer live, but now it's Christ living in me. The life I once lived in the flesh, I no longer live that. I no longer live that old life. The life I now live that Christ Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says to church point, you know, you know in your conscience that I fear the Lord. And Paul's motivation for being an apostle wasn't uh, a love for money. He's already talked about that previously in 2 Corinthians. Uh, it wasn't to please man or to appease man. It wasn't to look good or successful by the world's standards. This is what the false apostles taught. This was the false apostles' motivation for what they did, but not Paul. Not Paul. Paul's motivation was driven by the fear of the Lord. Christ's love controlled him and consumed him. He was motivated by wanting people, the lost, to be saved and come and be reconciled to God through Christ. This was Paul's motivation. No. This is, this is my hope for me and for you tonight, that this would be our motivation. That, that our motivation when it comes to this ministry and message of reconciliation would be one of hearing the Lord, staying in all of who he is, being in all of who he is that drives us to then go and plead with people to be reconciled to God through Christ. But it'd be motivated by the fear of the Lord. It'd be motivated by Christ's love for us and our love for Christ. And then we see in verses 14 and 15, Paul writes and says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here in verse 14, Paul declares the love of Christ controls and grammatically, this could mean the love we have for Christ or the love Christ has for us. And since Paul is thinking about what Christ has done for him by dying in his place, being substituted in his place for all 
I think the primary reference here is the love that comes from Christ. But I think it's fair to say, and we can still be faithful to the text by saying it's, it, it could be both. The love that we have for Christ and Christ's love for his own people, his bride, that he died for and laid his life down for. That's what controls Paul. Again, this is going back to this motivation. What motivates Paul? What should motivate us that are in Christ? And then, and then, to explain verse 15, since not all that were all there are living for Christ, it is clear that Paul has explained that one, Jesus, has died for all. And I think Paul's talking about the elect here. Therefore, all the elect have died to themselves. And he died for all, that those who live, notice this, those who live might not longer live for themselves, but for him, for, their, for whom for their sake died in his so by Christ's death and resurrection, the death penalty for sin has been paid for for all those who have trusted in Christ, and God counts their old life as passed away. That's why he says, uh, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Therefore, the gospel, Christ's work on the cross, frees believers from this new way of life. That was exemplified by Paul himself as one that the love of Christ controlled. And I, and I pray that this may be true of us as well. That this may be true of us as well, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And in verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So this love that comes from Christ enables and motivates us to love others. To love others. Uh, at one time, Paul had viewed Christ, as he says in verse 16, according to the flesh. So when Christ was regarded from a worldly point of view, when Paul wasn't in Christ, he viewed Christ as just a crucified blasphemer. A troublemaker. But from the divine viewpoint, once Paul came to Christ, he no longer viewed Christ that way any longer. He viewed Christ as his Messiah, as Lord and as Savior, as the Son of God, being fully man and fully God, and whom the new creation had come and reconciliation with God is given. And likewise, our experience of Christ's love has used us to stop evaluating others according to worldly standards. By just looking at their outward appearance. We are to view them instead from the spiritual viewpoint, the divine viewpoint, how God sees them. They are more than just flesh and blood. These are eternal souls. Eternal souls. People are eternal souls in need of Christ's salvation. And beloved, my prayer and hope for you and for me is that we won't just look at people from an outward perspective. From just looking at the externals. May we see every human being on this planet, here, right here tonight, in the city of San Angelo, and wherever we go, as eternal souls. That either need to be sanctified in their Christ, or if they're not in Christ, they need to be saved. And God desires for them Furthermore, when people are in Christ,
Titus, verse 17, notice what he says, they are a new creation. What does that mean to be a, a new creation? God gives them a new heart. This is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31 as part of the new covenant ministry. It's through the message of the gospel being faithfully proclaimed where people hear the gospel, the Spirit of God moves to convict them of their sins and their need of Christ. They repent and believe upon Christ. And they are saved. They are a new creation. God has given them a new heart. He's given them new desires and affections. A whole different worldview. Again, I've seen people spiritually and not just externally and outward appearance. I mean, the gospel transforms us from the inside out. And that's what happened to Paul. And that's what happens to every single person this reading. If you're in Christ, he's giving you a new heart. He's giving you desires, new affections, new life with him. He's reconciled you to himself and into the person who worked in Christ. You are a new creation. You should be able to look at your life if you're a Christ like profess to know Jesus and see that, that you are transformed and changed. You're no longer the same person anymore. You have died to yourself. That old is gone. It has passed away and the new has come. So people in Christ recognize that they are made new from the inside out. It's not, it's not about behavior takes the initiative to reconcile 
the means by which God reconciles us to himself is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse this is the reconciling gospel. And, and according to verse 19, God reconciles the world to himself by, notice what he says, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their trespasses against them. The, the objective human guilt in our violation of God's command that each and every one of us have violated has caused this alienation that I talked about earlier between sinners and their creator. And, and reconciliation can occur only through the forgiveness of these trespasses, excuse me, in which they are no longer imputed against the guilty. Yet, divine justice demands that sin must be punished. And so, since God just can't just throw sin underneath the rug, what does he do? puts it on his son. There's no longer imputed against the guilty because he put it on his son. It is satisfied by the imputation of our sin to Christ, this sinless one who bore the punishment that people deserve on the cross. And this is the good news. This is the gospel that God has given to us to share with other people that are lost. And with one another who are in Christ. Reminding ourselves of this every day, every moment of every day. But if you're in Christ, you've been reconciled to God through the personal work of Jesus. Therefore, the gospel itself is the means of reconciliation, which we will explore. I'll explore this further when we look at the ministry of Ephesus in just a moment. But amazingly, this is amazing, God chooses broken jars of clay like you and me who have been reconciled to him through Christ. Paul talks about that earlier. Um, that were broken jars of clay. And the amazing thing is, is that if you're redeemed tonight, God has reconciled you to himself through the personal work of Christ. You know what? He is now wanting to use you as a broken jar of clay, as a broken, broken jar of clay, as a servant to reconcile others to himself. Did you catch that? Note what Paul says in verse 18. Paul writes that God gave who? Us. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then notice what he says in verse 19. That God has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. So God uses means. And the means by which he uses to reconcile people to himself is, is by his grace, by his grace, through the personal work of Christ. Well, at the same time, through his people. As we walk around, we live our everyday and as we share faithfully the gospel, the right gospel, the right and true gospel with others, God used by his grace, his spirit, and his glorious gospel to regenerate others, to convict them of their sin and their need of Christ, and to bring them to himself. So God uses means. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. And this reminds me of what Paul writes elsewhere in Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse, verses 14 and 15 and verse 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then jump down to verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing. 
given us this ministry of reconciliation. And what a privilege. Not only does he redeem us and reconcile us to himself, which we don't deserve, that he's done by his grace, but that he allows us and chooses to want to use us to reconcile others to himself through our faithful proclamation of the gospel. That's amazing. simple. It's not convoluted or difficult. 
right there. Paul said, as God's prophetic minister of the, the new covenant, to announce God's peace treaty with those who will trust in Christ to free them from the penalty and power of sin. See, apart from Christ, we again are alienated, hostile towards God, and God is hostile towards us. We're in bondage to our sin, we're enslaved to our sin. God's wrath remains upon us if we're not in Christ. That's why we implore people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God and to find something is not right. To be reconciled to God is a summary of the gospel message that Paul proclaims among believers. It is a call to receive the reconciliation that God has won. And think about this for a second. Didn't somebody at one point, if you're in Christ tonight, didn't someone in your life as a minister of reconciliation with the message of the gospel and the preacher proclaim it to you, and that's how you came to know Jesus. This is what we're called to do. Just as that person came to you and proclaimed the gospel to you, and by God's grace and spirit, he reconciled you to himself through the personal work of Christ. Now he's sending you to go do that. And then verse 21. Here we see that the one, that Paul's talking about, the one who knew no sin is Jesus Christ, verse 20, and that he, God the Father, made Christ to be regarded and treated as sin, even though Christ himself never sinned. And further, we see that God did this for, notice this, for our sake. For our <laughs> sake. That is, God regarded and treated our sin, the, the sin of all who would believe in Christ, as if our sin belonged not to us, but to Christ himself. So in becoming sin, Christ, for our sake, Christ became our substitute. Our substitute. That is, Christ took our sin upon himself, and as our substitute, thereby bore the wrath of God, the punishment that you and I so justly deserve in our place for our Christ became sin for those who believe in him. And then notice what he says in verse 21 again. So that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So, so this means that just as God imputed, he accounted, the word for imputed would be accounted, our sin and guilt to Christ, he made him to be sin. So God imputes the righteousness of Christ, accounts the righteousness of Christ to our account. A righteousness that is not our own to all who believe in Christ. This righteousness belongs to believers because they are in Him. They are in Christ. Notice that phrase that Paul used a lot. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. So that is in Christ. Verses 17 and verses 19 he uses that phrase. So therefore the righteousness of God which is imputed to believers is also the righteousness of Christ. That is the legal status that belongs to Christ because of Christ having lived as one who knew no sin. See, Christ came, being fully God, fully man, came from heaven down to earth, the Word became flesh, and he lived the perfect life under the law that you and I cannot live, nor have we lived. And what Paul's talking about here, this is the heart of the doctrine of justification. 
says through, through Christ, and it includes us in his work as ministers and messengers of reconciliation. We are working together with God. This ministry and message is a necessary part of Christian life. Otherwise, they would, Paul says, receive the grace of God in faith. So it is a ministry and a message that all believers must engage in today, including us in this room tonight. For Christ is ushered in the day of salvation for the nations. And Paul insinuates this urgency and necessity of a call by citing, you'll notice that there's a quote in there in chapter 6. He cites from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. This is in verse 2 of chapter 6. Notice what it says. In a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. So he concludes that now, notice the word now, So when, when God offers deliverance, it is wise to respond immediately before the offer is withdrawn and it's too late. Now is the time of salvation. So in conclusion, if you're listening to this message, there are at least two different applications and responses for those who are in Christ and for those who are not. You are not in Christ. I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. By God's grace of spirit, repent and believe upon Christ and Christ alone tonight. My message to you is right here in the Word of God. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, Peter writes to persecuted Christians, and he says this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, and then listen to this, but is patient toward you. Patient toward you. Not wishing that any ministry is motivated by the fear of the Lord, by the love of Christ that controls us, by the desire to see lost people reconciled to God through Christ. And so the question for us who are in Christ tonight is, does this describe us? Does this describe us? Although it is God who saves by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, 
and you still need the gospel. And if they're not a Christian, they need the gospel. So please, share the gospel with them. Implore them on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Stand if you would and let's sing, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul.